It's the week after, only the hardcore people come the week after Easter. So you guys are the hardcore ones. So I'm glad you're here. Um, Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to continue with our, our series, and we're going to finish our series, uh, Ours Told by a Scoundrel, our journey through the book of Matthew. This could be the longest series we've ever done as a church in 10 years as a church. It could be the longest one. I'd have to kind of compare it to Exodus, um, but for the remainder of the year, we're probably going to do shorter series, um, starting with, I'll, I'll let you know what we're starting with next week, a three-week series called God and Money. It's actually about God and money, believe it or not. It's simple, God and money. Uh, this is not a series meant to like end with taking an offering for something. Uh, that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to help all of us find financial freedom. And I don't mean financial freedom in a sense that the network marketing companies promise it with residual income, although that's fine and good if you get that. But I mean freedom in your soul, freedom from worry, freedom from materialism, freedom from the angst, the anxiety, the stronghold that money tends to have over all of us. Jesus talked so much about money, so we're going to spend three weeks talking about it. Uh, so that's next week. We'll talk more about that next week. But would you stand for the reading of God's Word? This is from Matthew 28, and Jerry Schiavo is going to come down and do the reading for us. Here you go, sir. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, reading from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I, will, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. You guys can have a seat. So in this passage, Jesus has risen. He is standing before his disciples, and he is handing the baton off to them, so to speak. He is sending them off to continue this story that they thought ended. They thought ended when he was crucified. He's dead. The Messiah is dead. He couldn't be the Messiah because the Messiah is not supposed to die. So who's the next candidate to be the Messiah? And then he rises from the dead. We talked about that last week. And so now he's saying this story isn't over. Now it's only just beginning. The story of new creation. His resurrection didn't just mean that he's God. It meant new creation, what God has always promised, a new earth. It started and he's saying, but it's unrolling, it's unraveling. This story is unfolding, and you guys are to play a part in it. This is the next act in the ultimate play, so to speak. And you guys have parts to play in this story. Now, the problem often is, with a passage like this, especially this passage, is that many people, if you're here and you're not a Christian, and maybe even if you are a Christian, you've experienced this, a lot of Christians can take this and uh, come off like a salesman, right? Well, it's my job to go sell people on my belief system. I was having a conversation with someone this past week, in fact. A friend of mine, no, nobody in here, nobody watching online, I don't think. Um, but it's the, the, just a conversation we were having. And they said to me, we were talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and they said, I think what you believe is a little crazy, a little out there. 
And I said, but I think there's more evidence for that than what you believe, actually. And we were going back and forth a little bit. And they said, well, here's the thing. I'm not trying to convince you not to believe what you believe. But you guys are always trying to get us skeptics to believe what you believe. And I don't think people should be, Christians should be shoving what they believe down other people's throats. I said, okay, I agree with that. I actually don't want to shove anything down anybody's throat. I don't even want to shove what I believe down my kid's throat. You can't quench somebody's thirst by waterboarding them, right? We don't want to waterboard anybody. Coincidentally, I had my own experience with somebody trying to shove something down my throat uh, this past week. A week and a half ago, I went to LA Fitness with a uh, a, a pass, one of those uh, guest passes, to try out the pool. And they stopped me at the door, and they wanted me to step into the office. And I said, oh, I don't have time for that. I'm trying out the pool. I got time to either talk to you in your office or try this place out. So I'm going to try this place out. So I, I, I went for a little swim, checked it out, left. And then they started calling me every day. And they would follow up those calls with an email. And finally, I picked up the phone the other day, and I said, listen, here's the thing. I was very inclined to sign up when I first came. Now that you have called me every day, I don't want to sign up. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that we were calling you every day. But do you have time for me to tell you about our special? I said, oh, my goodness. And, I thought, and then that happening alongside of this conversation with my friend, I thought, am I like that? I don't want to be like that. I don't want to come off like a L.A. fitness sales associate to my skeptical friends. Here's what I think Jesus is saying to us. Uh, I think it's more like when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. He made it illegal for slaves to be held in slavery in the Confederate South, in Texas and the, the southern states. It was illegal. They couldn't do it. But that, that didn't mean that all of a sudden the slave owners were like, well, Abraham Lincoln said it's illegal now, so you guys are free to go. No, the Union troops had to go execute what was just made legal. They had to advance, and as they advanced, they would free the slaves as they moved forward. And many of you guys know this. On June 19th, 1865, over two years later, the, final, the last slaves were freed in Texas. Over two years later. So I think it's kind of like that, where Jesus is saying, guys... I have just paid the final price. Victory is, is, is uh, the victory over sin and death has been conquered. But now people are still in slavery. They need to know about this. There's, there's people in slavery. They don't know that freedom has been offered to them. And I want you to go make it known to them. And so Jesus is just saying, hey, don't try to go be an L.A. fitness sales associate. But I do want you to go offer freedom to the captives. And declare that new creation has started. And they don't have to be uh, slaves to sin and death anymore. They don't have to uh, constantly be affected by the fear of death, the uncertainty of death, trying to prevent their skin from aging. I don't have to worry about that anymore. The effects of sin, the shame, the self-condemnation, they can be freed from that. The power of addiction and strongholds, they can be freed from that. I want you to go make that known to them. I got a book on the resurrection of Jesus that hopefully will be ready soon. Don't buy it. It'll be on our book table. You can get it for free. But the in the dedication of the book, it says this. This book is dedicated to all my family and friends who know about Jesus but don't really know him. My hope is that you do come to know him. It is not a condition for our relationship, but rather it is because of our relationship that I really, really hope you know him. And that's true. If somebody doesn't know about the hope in Jesus and I'm friends with them, how could I not tell them about it? 
If there's someone starving for food, how do you not say, hey, I found food? But we don't want to come off like LA Fitness sales associates at the same time. So there's a tension there. So the title of today is called Proclaiming Freedom, Rest, and New Creation. We're going to walk through this passage, and I'm going to point out seven promises that I see here. Even though the main point is a command to us, what I think uh, I see here is seven promises implied in this passage. And so as we finish the book of Matthew, I hope one or two or three of them will, will grab you and you can walk out of here uh, uh, with faith that you can apply this and uh, God will meet you there. And if you're a non-Christian in here, you're a skeptic in here, I hope that you'll see that, oh wow, okay, that's what they're told by Jesus to do. And even if they don't always do it well, even if their pastor isn't always the best, I don't want to throw the message out because the messenger is imperfect. So let's pray, Jesus, do something with this passage in all our hearts today. If it's different for each of us, great. But show us, Lord, what is our next step? This whole book that Matthew wrote down, that you preserved for us, the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, what it means to be kingdom people, his death, his resurrection. Jesus, help us to see our parts in your story. In your name, amen. Okay, so seven things. We'll walk through this passage. Starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So this would not be the first time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. John's gospel tells us that he showed up the very day that he rose from the dead. Um, but Matthew wanted to see the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made to them. That I'm going to meet you on Galilee, in Galilee, the mountain. And that's where he's going to recommission them. Um, it says they see him, they worship him, and some doubted. He's standing Right there, and some doubt. Now, that word for doubt is not like a, a settled unbelief. Like, you know, they're crossing their arms going, uh-uh, I ain't believing this even though I see him. We're all hallucinating. Can't be. It's not like that. It was more of uncertainty or hesitation. Like, what is going on? Like, is he, is this real? Am I crazy? Are we all crazy? And this encourages me. I don't know if it encourages you. This encourages me. Because as, as confident as I am that there is overwhelming evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Both historical evidence, philosophical evidence, evidence in my own personal subjective experiences. I still have moments where I'm like, wait a second. What do I believe? God, can you remind me that this is true? Anybody else have those moments? Like when Rebecca was talking to the kids, I didn't know that they were talking about doubt today. I, I raised my hand. Like, yeah, I have those moments where I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. I'm preaching this to people. Jesus, I, I need to be reminded. Let's go over this again. Can we go over this again? So this encourages me. They're still included. People who are doubting are still included in the story that Jesus is unfolding. And they're still among those who Jesus is sending out. Okay, so if you're here and you're a little doubtful and you have those moments, be encouraged. Jesus still wants to use you in his story. So he continues, verse 18, uh, he came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Whenever the word therefore is there, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Okay? In the Bible, that's, that's helpful. What's therefore therefore? It therefore is linking the command to go make disciples of all nations with what he just said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So there's the first promise that I see. Jesus' resurrection means he has all authority. We can, we can rest assured that his resurrection means he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He reigns over it all. He makes the sun to rise. He holds the moon in place, the stars in place. He gives life to every living being. Every breath that we take, he has authority over. And so when he says, go make disciples, we can go in his authority. We don't go in our own authority. I have no authority to go tell somebody what to believe or Jesus is the only way. I can't do that in my own. I, having a clergy badge doesn't give me the authority to point somebody's heart to Jesus. It gives me authority to get into hospitals after visiting hours and to officiate weddings and sign the thing. Not much else. But Jesus gives us all authority. He says, hey, I'm ready. It's kind of like this. If I went to your house and we were strangers and I said, listen, I need to check your closet for some stuff. You'd be like, get out of here, fool. Well, I heard that there was some drug paraphernalia that you're hiding. I don't need to. You'd be like, get out of here. If I showed up with a badge and a search warrant signed by a judge, you got to let me in. You might try to stop me, but I can bring in reinforcements. You're going to lose. Jesus is reigning over everything. He's saying, it's mine. And I want you to go out with the badge and the search warrant that I'm giving you and point people's hearts towards me because they belong to me. Because I died for them. Because I love them. Because I paid for them. And I want them to know it. So we don't go out in our own authority. If you're a new believer in here or if you're recently baptized, this means you get the authority as well. You don't have to have a bunch of Bible knowledge that doesn't give us the authority. It's Jesus who gives us the authority. Because we belong to him. And then he says, hey, I'm preparing people's hearts. So if he sends you to somebody, you can rest assured he's got authority over their heart. He's probably already working on their heart. There was somebody that I've been praying for for like three years now who showed up at my door this past week and was freaked out about something and was like, I'm ready to be born again. <laughs> I was like, what? What is going on here? They're not in our, in our church, but um, maybe they will be soon. Um, but Jesus was already working. I, I didn't have to go uh, banging down any doors. God's already working. So if God sends us somewhere, we can trust. He's got authority over their heart. He's doing something already. Even if you're a brand new Christian, it's like a rookie cop. You might be a rookie, but you're still a police officer. So if a woman's getting mugged, you stop them. You don't say, well, I'm only a rookie. Let's wait for somebody who's more experienced. No, you've got the authority. Jump in there. Don't abuse the authority, but don't neglect it either. Kids, teenagers, you've got authority to go point people's hearts to Jesus. Old people. I'm not going to look at anybody in particular. But you're not done. If you're retired, you're not done. The story's still unfolding and you're still part of it. If you're still breathing, you're still part of his story. All right, number two. People want to put their hope in something or someone that will last. That's a promise. Jesus, like, people are looking. Their, their hearts are looking for something to worship. Something to put their hope in. And, and 
As humans, we all are looking to worship something, but we look to worship things that go down, like the Titanic. They crash, they burn. Relationships that fizzle out. Other human beings who let us down. Jobs that eventually make a big deal out of us and then let us go. But Jesus, if he conquered the grave, Jesus is saying, hey, all you, you point them to me, the thing that can sustain their worship, that can sustain their joy. That's what he's doing when he says, go make disciples of all nations. He's not saying, go get people to check off some beliefs on a Sunday school quiz. That's not what he's saying to do. He's not saying to go argue them into the right belief system, although knowing the right things about Jesus are important. He's saying, people's hearts are looking for something to worship, and you're going out to say, hey, there's someone who can sustain that worship. That longing that you have in your soul there's someone who can sustain it because he conquered the grave. And this is what makes Jesus different than any religious figure. And when people say it's arrogant for Christians or Jesus to say he's the only way or for us to say he's the only way or the best way, if he didn't conquer the grave, then yeah, you could line up a bunch of figures and go, well, they said different things. I guess I'll, I'll try what he did or I'll try what he said. But if one conquered the grave, if one of them claimed to be God, died, rose again, proven it, you put your hope in him. And Jesus is saying, man, human beings are constantly being let down by the things they're putting their hope in, their money, their businesses, their romantic relationships. Point them to me. Point them to me. I can sustain it. Number three, God will put in our path people whose hearts he is working on. So when Jesus said, um, go and make disciples, that word go could also be translated like as you're going. So like as you're going about your day, as you're going about your life, make disciples. Point people's hearts to me. As you're going to school, as you're going to your job, as you're going to the gym, as you're going to jury duty. I'm on jury duty right now. Uh, grand jury. Every Wednesday I have to show up to the Ocean County uh, courthouse. It's like 18 weeks long. Um, five, five years ago, I was on a, on a pettit jury, so it was one trial. A grand jury, many of you guys know this, it's like 20 cases you have to review every day, you know, and then you, you vote whether to indict and send it off to trial. It's not very interesting. It's not like it, the other trial was. Um, so I've been praying, God, like, what's the point of me being here every Wednesday? Like, this is pretty, pretty disruptive to my schedule. And uh, last two weeks ago, I went in and somebody said to me, they're like, hey, maybe if we have time at lunch one of these weeks, you can tell me about your church. I didn't know how he knew that anything about my church or me being a pastor, but we ended up having lunch that day and he just shared with me his journey with God and placing his faith in Jesus 25 years ago, but drifting away and, and he just saw it as a divine thing that God orchestrated him, you know, putting us together in this jury duty, and it was actually very encouraging for me, so it was mutually encouraging. So, you know, God put somebody else in my path to help uh, boost my faith in God. And so as we go, God is already at work in people's lives. We just have to believe it and step out and trust, oh, he, this is a promise. As you go make disciples, he must be at work. So here's an opportunity. So here's my question. As you go about your life this week, would you have your eyes and ears open, trusting that Jesus is sending you in his authority on the lookout? You never know. Number three, number three. 
Number four, God will send some of us across geographic, cultural, and ethnic boundaries. So when he says, go make disciples, and as you're going, and all of us are called to do this, um, but eventually, he wants it to get to every nation. That is his ultimate goal, every nation, every ethnos. That's not a geographic nation state, that's every people group. So China, you know, is, is is one country, but in China, there's multiple people groups there. And he wants all of them to get to hear this message, this good news that he's died and he's risen again and he's paid for them to be set free, to know the risen Jesus. And so in order for that to happen, many of you, we talked about this about six weeks ago, um, in order for that to happen, there, there, there's still thousands of people groups who don't have access to this message of Jesus. And so he, he wants people to go out he wants his disciples to go out and make this message known. But in Matthew 24, which we talked about six weeks ago, he, he said it as a promise. This gospel will be preached to the whole earth, and then the end will come. And so here he's saying, remember that promise that I made? You guys are going to go make it happen. You're going to go get this message out there. And so some of them had to cross boundaries. They had to cross the boundaries of the Roman Empire and, and Asia and, and, and Africa. And somebody had to get to the Americas, right? It, somebody had to go cross boundaries. So while all of us are called to be a part of this mission as we're going about our days, some of us, somebody has to cross some boundaries. Somebody's got to be willing to go, you know what? I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to tell my landlord that next year and, 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 and move and change my life. But again, this is a promise. Some of us are going to go because this is going to happen, Jesus had said. The whole world's going to hear this. So I'm praying that one or two or three of you in the next few years will hear that call and go, oh, that's me. And start the process of exploring what it means to be an international worker for God's kingdom. Number five, Jesus offers to a weary world rest in a new identity. So the question of what is a disciple and what does it mean to make a disciple, um, uh, Jesus, I think, is kind of simple here. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That's the first part. That's what it looks like. How do you make, what do you make, do, what does it mean to make a disciple? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, the word baptism means immersed. So when we baptize someone in water, it's a symbol that they have been immersed into a new identity. They've been immersed into the, the identity of God's family, with God as Father, Jesus paying for their adoption, sealed by His Spirit. So that's what we get to offer people. Again, it's not going out there to try to convince them to believe what we believe or argue them into this new uh, behavior system. It's, hey, there's an identity that Jesus offers that you get to rest in that is free from having to perform and earn and prove yourself and get people to think well of you all the time. That's exhausting. And that's what our world is designed to do as human beings. We're born with this innate desire to figure out who we are based on what we accomplish and what other people say about us. Right? Since we're kids, we're trying to figure out. Since we, we start to become self-aware of, of what, how other people see us and introduce us, we want to be good at something. We want to have a resume to offer. We want to be known for something we've done well. And Jesus is saying, that's exhausting. 
that's an exhausting way to live. If you think your standing with God is based on how well you perform, it's going to be up and down, filled with fear and dread and anxiety. But if you know that who you are can be based not on what you do, but on what Jesus has done for you, there's rest there. You can rest in that. Because that means, that means, because of my faith in Jesus, when I'm doing, having a good day as a father, as a husband, when I'm killing it as a pastor, which I know is few and far between, those days. Jesus looks at me, God looks at me, says, righteous, my son, who I love. But even on the bad days, when I'm screwing up as a husband, when I'm short as a father, when I'm dropping balls as a pastor, God still looks at me and says, my son, who I love, righteous. Not because of his performance, but because of what Jesus has done. There's rest in that, and that's what we get to offer the weary world. We're not going out there to argue them into a gym membership. We're saying, hey, aren't you tired? Next one, number six. Oh, no, this is a great quote. I thought of this quote because Sammy, is Sammy here today? Sammy Riello? Well, it doesn't matter. He was... Um, at a prayer group on Thursday, and he prayed this. I don't know if he knew that this came from St. Augustine, but St. Augustine famously said this, our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. And many of us, we know this. And some of us who are even Christians, we forget this. And so our, we drift, we try to earn our place in the world, we try to be successful, we try to please people, and then we find ourselves weighed down, burnt out, and anxious. And Jesus is like, oh, come back. Your rest is in me. Your rest is in me. All right, now number six. Disciples will want to live according to the values of the kingdom. So when Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's a new identity. You're adopted into God's family. You're not going to get kicked out. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I believe verse 20 intentionally comes after verse 19. First you have the new identity. Then you're taught to live according to the new family that you belong to. See that? It's not the other way around. Religion is the other way around. Try to obey, 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 and then maybe God will let you in. That's not Christianity. Jesus paid for it. He says, come into my family. And now we're going to teach you the family rules because that's the best way to live. And that's where there's ultimate fulfillment and joy. And eventually you're going to get it. You're going to want to live that way. If my family adopted a, a kid into our family, they're like, hey, we love you. You're adopted. You belong to us. You're Francis now. And here's how we do things in our family. And when they disobey, we're not going to say, well, we're taking you back to the court. We're, right? No. Those of you who have adopted, that doesn't happen. You fight for them, and you fight for them, and you fight for them, and you love them. And you keep trying to steer them back, because that's the way that you believe is going to lead them to joy and fulfillment in life. That's what we do with our kids. When our kids don't want to do some of the chores that we have for them, we don't kick them out. We don't threaten to kick them out. We don't withhold our love. We say, hey guys, because we love you, this is why we want, we want you to get this. We want you to learn to pick your clothes up and put them back. We want you to get this because one day you're going to be an adult. We want you to be independent and learn how to do this. And so Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Somebody gets baptized, they declare they belong to God's family. And then our job as a church together is we help each other obey Jesus and live this out. 
But it's not to earn our place in God's family. It's because we're already there. And I think implicit in what Jesus is saying here is once you have the Holy Spirit in you, eventually you're going to want to obey him. You're going to find freedom in his commands. Even the crazy ones. Love your enemy? That could get you killed. And Jesus is like, yep. But you belong to me now. And death isn't the end. And you're going to be with me. So yeah. And that Christians around the world are experiencing that. Because loving our enemies also shows that we belong to someone different. And the history of the church is filled with stories of people being killed for their faith. And the people who are doing the killing, watching how they die and going... There's something about their peace and their love for me while I'm killing them that makes me think there's something about their Jesus. There's stories from the last 2,000 years of people placing their faith in Jesus because of the way their victim died. When Jesus said, forgive those who slander and persecute you, you know, the world says, be careful, make sure they apologize and make sure they earn that forgiveness and even then, do a bunch of boundaries and walls and guards up so that you don't get hurt again. And Jesus is like, no, I want you to forgive up close. Not this fake forgiveness where we hold them at a, you know, don't, I'll forgive you, but don't come closer than 60 feet. Right? He said, I want you to forgive up close. And we think, well, that's going to enable them. And Jesus is like, yeah, but you belong to me. You belong to me now. What do you got to lose? And once we feel this freedom in our new identity, then we go, oh, I get it. I can love my enemies and I can forgive those who hurt me because there's more freedom in that than trying to protect myself constantly. That's, that's an anxious way to live. So all Jesus' commands, even the crazy ones, are meant to live, lead us into joy and fulfillment. And again, I think if we have the Holy Spirit in us, if we really belong to Jesus, we're going to change eventually. We're going to want to grow. So when we look at somebody else and we say, well, they're not changing. They must not be serious about Jesus I want you to remember, Jesus is serious about them. He ain't going to give up on them. So it's not your job to get them to change in your timetable. He'll change them because he's serious about them. And people say all the time, well, you know, Jesus won't override my will. If he lives in you, he will override your will. That's what he will do. He will make you into his image. That's his promise. All right, last one. As we live out the story, Jesus will be with us every step of the way. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age Jesus ended this. So this, this statement here, I'm with you always. We've we got to see it in context. He's sending them out on a mission that he knew was going to be risky for them. Some of them are going to be, most of them are going to be killed for their faith, except for John. They tried to kill him and he lived was exiled. But most of them are going to be killed. So uh, Jesus knew this was risky. So he says, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. And then he disappeared into the clouds. But he left his spirit. He sent his spirit in Acts chapter 2 to be their guide, their helper, their advocate. And so they truly weren't alone. And what I think Jesus is saying is that while he's omnipresent and he is truly with us everywhere, and while his spirit is always in those who uh, belong to him, there's a sense in which we will experience his presence in this tangible manifest way as we live out this story. But if we play it safe and we say, no, I just want to live the American dream story, I don't think we'll experience his presence in the way he wants us to. And I know that's kind of a 
quite a thing to say, but the book of Acts is filled with these moments of the disciples living out the story, and it shows God's presence being there in a supernatural way that wasn't there when they're playing it safe. And when you hear about people around the world who have been persecuted and put in prison for their faith, and they testify about God's presence being so rich in a prison cell, after they're being tortured or while they're being tortured, it's like, wow, Jesus meant this. He meant this. When I go to the beach with my girls and I say, hey guys, let's go far out in the ocean, they're going to cling to me when it's above their head in a way that they don't normally cling to me. And I'm going to hold them tighter than I normally do. But when they're playing up on the shore in ankle deep water, I'm with them, but I'm kind of with them reading a book, glancing up to make sure they're still alive. Right? And I think, that, I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Guys, trust me. Step out of the boat. Live according to this story, and you're going to experience my presence in a way that you can't fathom, by if, if you, that you wouldn't experience if you played it safe. Don't play it safe. Go, go proclaim this good news of my, creation, my new creation, my freedom, my rest to a weary world, and watch how I'm with you. Watch how I show up. Watch the boldness that I give you. Watch the words that come out of your mouth when you think that you're, you know, ignorant or don't have enough Bible knowledge. I'll fill your mouth with words to say. Watch, watch, watch. So, as we close, what's your next step? What's your next step? Matthew, book of Matthew's over, but our parts in the story are still ongoing. What's your next step? I, it could be a myriad of things, just some things that popped in my head. Maybe it's to start praying for God to highlight people in your path every day. When I started, uh, I kind of got away from this for a little while, and then I just started again, just like, Lord, just, just like highlight people for me. And then that person on jury duty, and, and had a conversation with somebody while, while my wife was doing a run, because I wasn't going to run with her. So I was just waiting for her to finish, and had a conversation with somebody, and just the Conversation went to Jesus, very naturally. Just start praying, and God will just start to highlight moments for you. Maybe that's just it. I'm just going to pray every day. God, highlight somebody in my path today. Maybe it's to start exploring being an international worker. This is not for everybody, but it, maybe it's one or two or three or four of you guys. Maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, it's to trust in Jesus for the first time. Maybe you saw it prior to today as just your family members trying to get you to agree to a certain belief system. And maybe God's illuminated for you this promise that, no, 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 it's better than that. It's bigger than that. It's rest. It's rest in your soul. It's freedom from the condemnation and the shame that you've been battling. You just give your life to Jesus. Say, all right, Jesus, my life is yours today. I trust you died. You rose again on my behalf. And maybe for some of you, it's to profess your faith through baptism. I've been immersed in a new identity, and I'm going public with it by being immersed in water. Our, ne our next one is, is coming up on May 7th, if you want to sign up for that. We've got one person doing it that day. But what's your next step? If Jesus gives us another week, what will you do with it? You know, I was thinking about this this past week. Easter came... Seven days rolled around. Jesus did not return in these last seven days. We're here, right? And I just was thinking, what did I do with this last week? 
How often was I distracted from a smaller story? How often did I play it safe? How often did I forget the big story of new creation, resurrection, freedom that I get to play a part in? So if Jesus gives us another week, what will you do with it? Will you enjoy what Jesus paid for you to enjoy? The band is going to come up and, and, and sing a song over us. This is a song we've, we've heard before, and it's got some images on the screen. Um, and then we'll stand and, and go out singing together. But as this song is sung over us, uh, I just want you to think about what it's saying. It kind of starts with creation. God creates the world, and everything he created is meant to reflect his glory. It's meant to point to how awesome God is. And then it goes to us. And the same is true for us. We're meant to reflect how awesome God is, to reflect his glory, his love for the world, his peace, his joy, his freedom. And at the end of the song, it says, is one of the lines is, if you gave your life to love them, so will I. And that gets me every time. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. We have one life here now. What will we do with it?